Mark chapter 10. I'm out of segues, I'm out of words. Let's seek legitimacy right here. Mark chapter 10, verse 46, shall we? How are we today? Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. He was begging, at least let me offer a, a little more genuine greeting. Great to see you. Are you all well today? Okay, awesome, you're still going, what was that? You might have questions about us now, right? And in fact, actually, we have, we're in a series called Good Question, we're looking at the questions of Jesus, we're gonna come to another zinger here in a moment, but in about two months, we're gonna have another series called Q&A, where we wanna know what your questions are. And And those questions can be about theology, about the Bible, about where life and faith and culture are intersecting, and, um, but we wanna know what your questions are now so our teaching team can start preparing. So go ahead and text your questions um, at that text number up on the screen. Online community, be a part of this. Speedway, be a part of this. And uh, we would love to, um, to get a head start on offering what we can in terms of guidance and perspective on those things. Now, back to the passage here. So large crowd, they're rolling through Jericho. They come upon a man named Bartimaeus. He is begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, many people did what they still do today as it relates to the poor. Many rebuked him, told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Would not stop, but Jesus stopped and said, call him. We've looked at this passage together before. I just love this moment. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, they said. On your feet, he's calling you, throwing his cloak aside. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And now here's the question. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asks. It's the very question I do not ask. When you come up along an intersection and there is somebody holding up a sign, Do you roll down your window and say, what do you want me to do for you? I don't. I might say, here's what I can do for you, will do for you on better moments. I have water and granola. Uh, If there's ever an opportunity and I'm in the right zone, I might say, well, let me go get you some food. But I don't say, what do you want me to do for you? That is way too open-ended. I don't do this with uh, solicitors that come knocking at the door like they did, uh, one young man did uh, Wednesday night at 8.45 p.m. And uh, he goes into a spiel and I just like, ah, gotta stop you right there, not open to any interruptions tonight, thank you though. Close the door, he's like. Now one of my daughters was, was there to take in this, this moment of compassion on my, <laughs> on my part. And she's like, gee dad, that wasn't very kind. I go, oh no. And she goes, in fact, I think it was mean. I go, it was not mean. It was clear, is what I said, right? (laughs) She's like, I don't think it was honest. I go, why? She goes, because you said we're having family time to him. I said, we were having family time. I and my oldest daughter, we were watching Quarterback on Netflix. That is family time, right? (laughs) Then the Spirit of God came on me, and I was like, okay, honey, I think I could have done that better. She's like, thank you, thank you. All that to say, in these moments, like, What Jesus encounters, how many of us just offer such an open-ended question? 
See, we don't ask questions like that. We, if you're uh, an attorney or you like to fancy yourself as one, you ask more depositioning questions where you're a leading question. Even societally, the way that the research says, the way that we ask questions of people is a way to get the answer that we want. So for example, you see somebody, you go, hey, did you have a great day? What do we want when we ask the question that way? We want a positive answer. Everybody wants to feel good. Do you ever ask somebody like, hey, was your day horrible? Most of us don't, right? Because we don't want to have to deal with your horrible. But Jesus asks a really surprising question. I can just see the head turn and all the disciples and the whole crowd. You asked them what, you know, needle scratch on the right, what, you know. And actually, I think the man's response I was just thinking about this yesterday. I think the man's response was a surprise. I don't think people saw it coming. I think they expected this man, we'll read it here in a moment, to, to, ask, not, to, to ask for money, just more money. Just like, well, Jesus, you're a rabbi and you've got a large following, so maybe there's some rabbi fund I could tap into. Ostensibly, this man had been blind for years upon years. Everyone knew him. No one ever expected anything to change or for him to ask for anything different other than money. But Jesus comes and asks a wide open question. And he meets him right where he's at. I mean, all, all that Jesus has in this moment, if you, yes, fully God, but fully man, it's like, well, all the, the man's been crying for is mercy. That's all we know. He's just over and over, have mercy on me. Now, if, you, if you're like this blind man and I'm like this blind man, that could be asking for a lot of things. I mean, we need mercy for a lot of different things in our life, do we not? So Jesus asks a question to draw out what the deepest need or desire is. And the man says, Rabbi, I want to see I think we, we go about telling people what they need and we project what we think people need and we never stop to ask the question and we'll never get here to this point of deepest desire. And Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you immediately. The man received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. We're in the series called Good Question and we've strung together three different questions from week one now into week three that really is a journey of desire. Week one, Jesus asked the question, what do you want? Or translation, what are you going after? And this is a question of desire. Let's bring what those desires are to the surface. Week two, does this offend you? Which is to say, Jesus wants to know what you want, but he actually wants to purify those wants and bring them back into alignment with what he knows to be best for us. And then here today, this question for you and for me, what do you want me to do for you? Which is to say that Jesus not only wants to know our desires, he not only wants to kind of purify them and right align them, but he wants to meet them. He wants to fulfill those desires. If we'll allow ourselves to get in touch with what we really want and with what we really need. See, this is a journey of desire. John Eldridge, author, wrote a book called Journey of Desire. And here's what he says about the importance of us actually tapping into what our core desires are. The greatest human tragedy is to give up the search. Nothing is of greater importance than the life of your deep heart. 
To lose heart is to lose everything. And if we are to bring our hearts along in our life's journey, we simply must not, we cannot abandon desires. See, there are some religions out there that say you gotta free yourself of all desire, hit that Zen zone so that you're not disappointed. So you're not, no, 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 actually, the story in the scriptures is that from the very begin, big, beginning, God created you and me with core desires. And we looked at this last week, right? In Genesis chapter two, right in the garden, he surrounded uh, Adam and ultimately Eve with absolute beauty, and, and there were so many things that it said literally were pleasing to the eye, that there is this sense in you and me for enjoyment, for having hunger that is satisfied, and that is a good thing. And then it says in the scriptures that we were called to work, to build, to grow, and that core desire is a good thing in you and me, and then ultimately, this, uh, this beautiful picture of Adam and Eve being together, naked, it says, without shame. Naked uh, spiritually, physically, psychologically, emotionally, intellectually. Their full totality of their person standing before one another completely approved. We have desire for that kind of belonging, that kind of intimacy. And those are good things, not bad things. And so what I just want to stop and pause here in this moment and I want to ask you when the living Lord, who today the questions still stand, and he wants to ask you here in this moment down to the deepest place of your desire, he says to you, what do you want me to do for you? Will you have the courage like Bartimaeus to answer him? And I want us to actually pause in this moment, I want you to take hopefully the card that you received, Speedway, hopefully you received this on the way in. It says, what do you want me to do for you? Online community, just say grab journal, phone, post-it note, whatever, please go on this journey with us. I want you to just flip it over and if you have a writing utensil, if you don't, grab your phone, this is a useful time, keep your notifications off and just answer his question. It could be related to um, a relationship, it could be related to your grandchildren, it could be related to a child, it could be related to a neighbor, it could be related to your job, to a need for provision, it could be a health issue. But what do you want the living Lord to do for you? And just, I'm gonna give us a minute, I want you to write it down.
our lead teacher, Pastor Randy Frazee, has written a book called The Story, in which he talks about there's an upper story and there's a lower, lower story to our lives. And you and I, we find ourselves in this lower story of our circumstances, of the things we're going after and the things we're chasing and the, the problems and the cir- circumstances. And yet there's an upper story. We're going to actually intersect around both of those here in a moment. But I just want to pause and say about what you've written on your card that is real, it is important. I know some, some of them may be a little surfacy, and some of them go to really deep and dark places. So I just want to pause. I want to say this. First of all, Jesus wants to, to know what those things are. He cares about them. He is for you in those places. He's not always what, for what we want, but he's always for what we most need. And so let's just pause. I just love to pray over what has been written on these cards. So Lord Jesus, we just come to you in this moment and what we have written, either it's, been, it's written on our heart and we didn't even need to write it down or it's in our phone or it's on this little card, you knew since before the foundations of the world began that we would be right here right now with this need, with this pain, with this desire and we're asking you, Holy Spirit, to come and meet us, tend to us, Give us words and usher in your presence in a really palpable way. And hold us, God, in this space, maybe in between the asking and the seeing what it's all about. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So Jesus, I believe, asks you and I this question, and it's an open question. What do you want me to do for you today in this big thing and the like? There's also, if we flip it around, the truth is, is in the upper story, in the redemptive story of God since throughout time, he has already done something for us, and it's incredibly cool. And we're gonna marry what he's already done with this sense of what we need him to, to do and meet us in right here and now, and if you recall, last week, we talked about these core desires, and these are really good. And we looked at Genesis 1 and 2, but then we jumped to Genesis 3 in the garden where there was the great rebellion. We'll just call it the fall. And all of a sudden, this appetite, when the serpent came in, the enemy of God, and, and began to actually tempt, what, what did he tempt around? He tempted around these core Desires, there was one tree that should not be eaten from, and it was what? Do you remember? It was pleasing to the eye. And that was exactly the same verbiage in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And then the serpent comes uh, along and tempts them and says, guess what? You can have all the power. You can be like who? You can be like God. That's right. And then we see that Adam and Eve, they ate together. Hey, come do this with me. Are you in? And we talked amongst ourselves, just like, if you take all the desires and all the things in their brokenness, you distill them down, they basically fall into these three buckets, appetite, ambitious, ambition, and approval. And if I'm gonna go, you know, high and to the right. If I'm gonna really mess up my life, actually, some of these have more power over me than others. There's a kryptonite. 
And for me, it's approval. I'd rather do the wrong thing to, to feel right with you than vice versa. That's gonna be my kryptonite. How many of you, again, your, your approval, people's pleasing, seeking junkies like me? Okay. How many of you would say, no, my thing is, um, it's kind of about power. Like, I, if I'm left to my own devices, I'm just gonna try to win, win, and conquer and step over dead bodies to get there, you know, proverbially speaking. How many of you are like that? They're like, not raising my hand now. <laughs> Seeing some of this, but, right? Appetite, I'm just going after the next thing. The next thing to try to sadie what's going on. I'm just on this constant quest. I have this thirst, whether it's for materialism, whether it's sexual appetite gone askew. Whatever that next thing, it's the next experience. How many of you are like, yep, I think I'm an appetite junkie in one way or another? Yeah. And when we look at our world, when we look at our lives, when we look at our relationships, it's like, this is why things get messed up. I love how James puts it. Look at this with me. James chapter four says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires? Which we actually reinterpreted because their core desires are good, but you could call this core drifts from these distorted desires that battle within you. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Okay, so this is pretty much where we left off last week. Now to the question of what Jesus has done for us. We're gonna go to Luke chapter four. And in Luke chapter four, we're gonna see the storyline continue. And I just gotta tell you, as I learned this from people like Mike Breen, my friend Dave Rhodes, Henry or Henri Nouwen writes about this, is just absolutely incredible. We're gonna see something so elegant and so potent for our lives. Luke chapter four, Jesus is going to experience three temptations. Here's how it begins. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, in the wilderness, he's there for 40 days. He was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. So here we see the devil again comes up to him. If you are the son of God, that word if is striking right at the very identity of Jesus, and this is what the enemy of God does to you and me, strikes right at our core identity. Jesus has just been baptized. The, um, the father has says, you are my son whom I love, and, you, uh, and, I, uh, and, and in you I am well pleased. And now Satan comes and says, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. What is the temptation around? He's hungry. It's what? Appetite. Turn these stones to bread. And how does Jesus refute it, resist it, and respond? Scriptures. He's just standing his ground upon the bedrock of the scriptures. Let's look at the very next verse, the second temptation. 
The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If, there's that word again, you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What is this temptation around? I'll give you all the kingdoms on the planet. I'll give you all the what? Authority. What is this about? You see the trend? All authority. This is about power. Third temptation. Devil led him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the highest point of the temple, presumably at a time where there's millions of people Sometimes during a Passover feast, there can be upwards of a million people on the Temple Mount. And there's the if word again. If you are the Son of God, going right after his identity, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, and now the enemy is taking scripture, twisting it around, and and quoting here. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said. Man, there's three words we could just use in our life, right? It is said. When you feel those temptations, it is said. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Henri Nouwen would describe that moment as Jesus being tempted to become a spectacle, to draw the the attractive attention of everyone. There's the scene. He's up at the highest point of the temple looking down over masses of people. and, And Satan says, if you are all this and that, throw yourself down. And then the angels will catch you and everyone will go, wow, that guy's amazing. It's a call for celebrity, he says, for popularity, for approval, that the angels will catch you and everyone will think that you're awesome. You see what Jesus has done here? Is this not amazing? Scholars call this the recapitulation theory, that what was lost in the garden, what was core in the very beginning was lost in the garden, and now Jesus is gonna go into the wilderness himself, and he's gonna recapitulate everything that was lost, and he's gonna restore it again, such that, and I love how Hebrews puts this. I hadn't seen this in connection with, with this storyline before, but look at Hebrews chapter four here. Here's what it says. For we do not have, it's double negative language here, but hang in there with me. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. In other words, we have a high priest who can empathize with you and me in the ways that we are tempted along appetite, ambition, and approval. But we have have one, namely Jesus, who has been tempted in every way. Stones to bread, all authority, angels will catch you just as you and I are, yet he did not sin. Let us then, here's the great news, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, grace, confidence, wherever you and I have messed up, in all the ways that we're left short, in all the ways we backed ourselves into a corner, we're in the cul-de-sac of life. For all of our misdeeds, we can have confidence 
in the grace of God so that we may receive mercy, find grace to help us in our time of need. In other words, Jesus personally in the wilderness took our core drifts and restored them back into core and beautiful desire. It's amazing. And this means something for you and for me. And actually the story didn't just end in Luke chapter four. There's like 10 more chapters to go that leads ultimately to the cross. And what happened in the cross has a massive impact, such amazing good news for you and for me and for all of us. That just like what happened in the wilderness, Jesus ultimately goes to the cross and he's extremely needy so that you and I can be made full. And Jesus takes all, the, 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 all our struggling for power and he actually makes himself weak so that you and I, in our weakness, can be made strong. And Jesus cries out, Abba, Father, why have you forsaken me? He experienced all the rejection and all the ridicule and all the mockery so that you and I can live accepted and free. This is the good news. This is the story of God throughout all the ages for you and for me and for all creation. I love how my friend Dave Rhodes put it. It's so eloquent. Look at this with me. He says this, what Jesus resisted in the desert personally, he defeated at the cross permanently for you. To answer the question, what do you want me to do for you? You have moments, you have things in your life, you have cards written down, and there's something else that's true. He has done something for you. So whatever has been written on your card here, see, you can hold it up to the higher and larger story of the one who said, I made myself needy so that even now you are full. Even in the midst of this, I made myself weak and empty so that even now by the very power of the Holy Spirit that led me into the wilderness, Jesus says, you have access to him too and you can be made strong. And for anyone who's ever felt rejected, forsaken, forgotten, left behind, outcast, misfit, you need to know that he too was rejected so that you can today know that you are accepted. That the Father in heaven, because of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his one day return, says to you, just like he did to Jesus at his baptism, you are my son, you are my daughter. I love you, and I'm really proud of you. And so that when the enemy comes in and wants to say, but if, if you are, if you are, if you are, you know what you can say? It is said. It is said. And yeah, I feel weak, but I know that I have the very power of heaven that makes me strong. And I know that, man, I'm, I'm searching and I'm waiting, but I know that even now, in the midst of this card, I know too that I can be made full. And even though things aren't right in this relationship, this marriage, with my son, or with my daughter, or with my friends at school, I know that I've been accepted by the king in heaven, by the high priest, by which I can have confidence, assurance, to cry out like Bartimaeus, have mercy on me, because grace is everlasting, 
This is the good news. If you are able, will you stand with me here in this moment as we prepare to respond in song? Would you hold your hands out just just in a non-demonstrative, but just as a way that's pure and honest? And can we just say, God, I have been, I have been searching through my appetite, through misguided ambition, through trying to make everyone happy, but sometimes not so much you. I need your mercy for that. I need your grace for that. And we come to you in this moment and we say like what St. Augustine said, I've just been restless. I've just been restless. And I know that I can only find rest in you, oh God. So we choose that today. We run to that today. We don't just passively say like, might we just have the deepest desires to say, I'm sick of making mud pies in the streets when a holiday by the sea is available to me. When there's a different way to live, I'm tired of all my short sales, misguided desires that lead me to dead ends and I'm ready for something new. The one who comes to you and me sits with us, asks us, listens, and throughout all eternity can do something about what we say. And the question and the and the answers we give. Holy Spirit come with what we have on our cards. Holy Spirit come and take the truth of what you have already done and make it real and viable and vibrant and hold us in the in-between. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray.